Welcome to the Hybrid Real Estate Professional Podcast, where we dive deep into the intersection of career, family, and finances. Learn the mindsets, tips, and strategies to help you on your personal journey to build a life of abundance and purpose for you and your family. Now here's your host, Aaron Amin. Welcome back to another episode of the Hybrid Real Estate Professional Podcast. For today's episode, I'm going to play you a recording of an interview I did last year on the Financial Firefighter Show with my friend and fellow investor, Mark Oshiro. He had me on three separate times to discuss long-distance real estate investing, the power of leveraging social media as a real estate investor, and retracing the biggest lessons from my investing journey. Today is part one out of three. Hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, it's Mark, your firefighter, realtor, and out-of-state investor. Today, I have a special guest on, Aaron Amin. He goes by the hybrid real estate professional. So welcome to my channel, Aaron. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I mean, I've been following you on Twitter. I I love your content. You know, you were on a Twitter space the other week that I kind of hopped on and I heard part of your story and I said, oh, I want to get him on my YouTube channel. So why don't you tell my audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah, thanks again for having me. My name's Aaron Amin. As Mark said, I go by the hybrid real estate professional. By day, I work as a business manager at a mid-sized consulting firm based out of Seattle area. And uh, on the real estate side, I've built up a portfolio of eight properties across three states in the last six years. Those three states are Nevada, Washington, and Iowa. And I have a little bit of a different story for why I got into each of those markets. Uh, But I do work full-time. I have a 18-month-old daughter and, and a wife. You know, we, we have a beautiful home here in central Washington. And uh, yes, a, a little bit of backstory on what it is uh, to be a hybrid professional. Hybrid professional essentially is a concept that was pioneered by a woman named Dr. Sarah Beth Burke. She did her PhD study on this idea of a hybrid professional identity. And what it is, is essentially you have your kind of specialists, people that have a single focus. You have people who have multiple interests. So for me, that would be my business manager role, my real estate, uh, my writing. And then you have this third category that she pioneered called a hybrid professional identity. And that's where you take all of those interests and all of those identities, and you look for the, the skills that cross those intersections, and you focus on how to incorporate those into your identity. So for me, I don't flip off the business manager switch and flip on the real estate investor switch. I try and incorporate both of those identities in every area of my professional life. So I believe after reading her book and after studying more about this concept, that everyone, in particular people who are building portfolios on the side while they're working full time, has a lot to gain from from really tapping into and accessing that hybrid professional identity. So that's a lot of what I write about. I have a weekly newsletter that goes out every Thursday. It's a good mix of kind of tactical real estate tips, uh, coupled with a lot of that mindset and and exploring what it means to have a hybrid professional identity. Uh, but that's kind of me at a at a bird's eye view. I love it, you know, because nowadays you hear so much, so many people that have a W two job, and they say they don't have the time to invest or you know get into real estate. 
is that kind of where this all started? Like you, how did, how did you get into the real estate part of it though? Sure. So I was exposed to this quite a bit when I was growing up. My parents have been real estate investors since the early 2000s. We lived in San Diego at the time they started. They invested kind of right into the bubble, if you will, in California. Um, you know, it was a bubble across the country. So no, no fault of theirs for uh, playing, playing that game at that time. Um, and then they actually turned those houses, I think it was three houses in San Diego area into something like 13 in East Tennessee, where my mom's from. And I was a teenager at the time, so I didn't pay a, a ton of attention to it, but I was around it. I, I was aware that this was a viable path. And they were both full-time Microsoft career employees, very busy, very um, demanding careers. So I saw them do build up this big portfolio on the side. So I guess just even by seeing just by osmosis that it, it was possible to do both of those things. That obviously had an impact on when I started, you know, decided to start doing that. So my professional background, the first 10 years of my career, I worked in the concerts industry for a company called Live Nation. So I was a concert promoter and the promoters, also known as bookers, are basically the people who they call up the agents, they work to negotiate the deals with the artists, figure out what they need to get paid, figure out how to set the ticket prices, do all the expenses, you figure out how much cash needs to come in for the concert and how much cash needs to go out for the expenses and ultimately try and negotiate deals and make money for the company. Not so dissimilar to what real estate investing, you know, when you analyze a, a house or a deal, you put together a similar, a similar type of analysis, right? You want to make sure that you got enough rent coming in and a really deep understanding of all the places where money's going out. So I think as I got deeper into my concerts career, I started seeing where these parallels might come into play. And having grown up mostly in the Seattle area and relocated to Las Vegas for my work, the price difference, the cost of living in Vegas was so much cheaper than in Seattle that we realized we could actually afford to purchase houses in, in Las Vegas. So it started with buying a primary house, which we got at a killer price. It was $250,000 for a four bed, two bath, 2,100 square foot house. And some of the people watching this might find that really cheap. Some people might say it's really expensive, but again, coming from Seattle, that was like mind blowing um, that you could get that much space for that price. And so I think after living in that house for a couple of years, we, we thought, well, these could probably work as rentals. Like if you, if we can still get things that for that size, that quality at that price. So we basically, we didn't really know. We certainly didn't know what we know now had pretty low academic knowledge about how to analyze a deal. We didn't know any property managers. We didn't have any personal experience other than what I'd observed from my parents. But we decided to buy our first rental in Vegas, right down the street from where we lived. And we learned pretty much everything on the fly. You know, it was a, it was a big learning experience of just even, we knew that our rent was higher than our mortgage. And that was about all we knew. And we said, great, like that, we're doing something right. In hindsight, what I didn't do is build out a line by line 
budget that, okay, if we're really truly budgeting for all our expenses, this is actually a negative deal on paper. But, but in my inexperienced mind, uh, you know, that was, it was cash flowing positive, at least before anything um, started to go wrong. But we were able to get our, you know, initial experience with that one house. Um, and then we realized, you know, that it was manageable with our jobs. And once we kind of, kind of a taste of that, it's like, hey, maybe we could do this again. Um, so it started almost, I, I don't want to say by accident. Like it was an idea that we had based on, you know, some exposure I had through my parents. Um, but that I, that planted a seed. And I think anyone who's started investing, like, they can probably remember the feeling of that first rent check hitting and just, you know, seeing like, okay, you, you've really have started a business. You've started a business. You have income, you have expenses, you have ownership, you, have, you, you own a, a real asset. And it's just, it's a very powerful feeling. And I don't say power from like an ego sense, just like it's, it's a very connected feeling when you're building something for yourself. So... That's kind of the entry point, um, and there's a whole evolution from there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like you're saying, that first rent check, it's kind of like, for me, it was just like this light bulb turned on. Like, you know, this makes so much sense, and it's, you know, it's kind of a proof of concept that you can make money while someone else is paying down your your mortgage. And, you know, this this is how the wealthy do it. And then it really started clicking for me as far as, you know, this is a better path than, you know, traditional retirement accounts and whatnot. But I, I want to kind of touch on something that you did mention about your parents um, investing, you know, like in the early 2000s. So did they, were they investing through the crash also or? They did. So it was an interesting scenario um, where basically, you know, there's three houses in San Diego had appreciated significantly. And the time that we as a family actually relocated to East Tennessee, it was mid 2007. So things were still high and that's when they bought their portfolio in Tennessee. So unfortunately, when the bottom fell out in 2008, they were left holding the bag in Tennessee with all these you know, less expensive properties. And so it actually took them a long time to kind of, they had to hold for a long time in order to wait for those values to level off. And they were managing that portfolio for seven, eight years as, as it rebounded and rents, you know, caught up and values caught up. And they, I don't remember the exact year that they completely divested, but it took, you know, better part of a decade for them to get to sell all those Tennessee properties. And they also live here where I live in central Washington. And now they still own rentals, but they're all out here in the local area where we live. Um, so yeah, that was an interesting lesson too, right? It was, it was, I think in hindsight, as I look back at their journey as inspiration for mine, I, I see that they held and didn't panic and sell at a big loss and set themselves up for, for failure. You know, they, they, I can only imagine how difficult that must have been to hold on when you know your your values your values are down and some of your equity might even be underwater compared to the loan balance um, i can only imagine but that definitely is not lost on me as i as i look at how we prepare for the long haul for our journey do you know if 
their rents ever went below their expenses or their payment that they were making? I know there was a time at which they were they were losing money on a monthly basis on at least some of them. There were also some other issues that came up that were completely unrelated to the recession that were just some of the tenants that were in there, some issues that happened. So, you know, we are very lucky. I'm knocking on wood right now. Very lucky that we haven't yet gone through evictions or tenant nightmare situations. But I've heard enough stories from from my parents' journey, you know, that I, I know how bad it, it can get and some of the things you can go through. They've been through a lawsuit. They've been through some, you know, people conducting illegal activity on their properties and just some very interesting stories that I've heard from them that, um, you know, they prepare me, right, for the reality. Like, I think everyone that invests in real estate, they need to understand where the risk lies and that really crazy things can happen. You don't necessarily need to lose sleep at night every night because you think that any second something bad is going to happen, but you do need to be aware of it, um, you know, of the possibility that, and, and that's where things like insurance and asset protection and forming separate entities and all that comes into play. So when you started you kind of this, down this path of buying rentals, were they supportive of the idea? Absolutely. Um, you know, they took all my phone calls, answered all my questions, of which there were many. And frankly, you know, I, I leaned on them heavily in the very beginning because they were the only people I knew that were in that world. I wasn't networked, I hadn't come across people such as yourself or some of the other folks that we interact with on Twitter. I wasn't plugged into any other real estate blogs or bigger pockets. I was really um, exploring really just on my own. The agent that we used for the rental property in Vegas, I found on Zillow through just whoever got assigned to me when we looked at the property. I lucked out that uh, that agent ended up serving up two other incredible deals in Vegas. And we've stayed in touch to this day. He ended up being very in investor friendly, but that's lucky, right? Like I, I wouldn't say that if you spin the wheel on Zillow and land on a random agent, it's not, it's certainly not a given that the person that picks up the phone is going to be in, educated on how to work with investors. Um, so between that agent and my parents, like that was my initial early support system for how to how to stand up that first rental. Uh, but over time, obviously that's grown and the network's grown and, and my, my knowledge has, has grown to where we still talk about it all the time, you know, at that family dinners. Um, but it's now, it feels more like as peers than it, than it does um, like I'm just leaning on them. I love that. I think that's, you know, part of the trouble that some people have getting started is, you know, they want to jump in, but they have family members um, that are not on board or they've never done it, but they just hear all the horror stories about it or they think about the crash back in 2008. And it's that I think that holds a lot of people back from jumping into the real estate um, investing game. Um, so right now you have eight rental units, you said? Eight properties. One of them's a duplex and so nine total units. Okay. So you, like you said, you go by hybrid, um, you know, real estate professional. What is the breakdown? Like how much, 
hours do you probably spend in your W-2 job and how much is spent on the real estate side, would you say? Yeah, so that's that has ebbed and flowed depending on kind of where I'm at. You know, so in 2022, we bought three houses. That was very time intensive. We not only bought three houses, but we bought three houses in a new market that we had not previously invested in. So the startup time commitment and cost of interviewing property managers, agents, lenders, lawyers, doing all the market research, like that took a significant amount of time that right now, for example, I'm not active buying phase, at least not at the moment. And I already have my teams in place. So like the difference between right now versus early 2022 is significant. But I do have, especially at this point, a pretty solid system of when I work on my real estate stuff versus when I work on my job. And I've been able to maintain, you know, still minimum 40, probably closer to 50 hours of my W-2 job. And it is a pretty demanding job. I do manage a team and, and there's, I report directly to the president of our company. Um, there's quite a lot that goes into it. It's not something I can really just coast. Um, and I still do when what we can kind of double back to this, like I view my ability to generate a salary and grow in a career path as one of my biggest assets. Like that's part of my portfolio. So if I don't invest the time and energy into that, I feel like, you know, I'm not going to, if I can't counterbalance it with some crazy returns, that's not a prudent decision. Right. So I believe firmly in investing in my career and, and, and job. Um, but my real estate time, uh, I get up pretty early. I usually spend the first two hours of my day before work hours on either writing or real estate, depending on what requires, what, what, you know, needs my attention. I've just recently ramped up the goals I have around writing and what I'm trying to do. I launched that newsletter back in December. I had, you know, stuck to every single week. I try and make it valuable. I put a lot of energy into it. Um, and real estate, you know, at this point, we brought on a virtual assistant last November. Um, I have pretty much systems in place at each of the properties to where I know who the tenants are. I know, you know, I know what the appliances need are. I'm hot tub at one. I've got it on a rotation schedule. Like we have a manual and reminders set for each of our properties to where, you know, we do pretty much self-manage our Vegas properties. And we just, we've, we've got a rhythm, we've got a rhythm going. So unless I'm in a very active buying phase, this is all very manageable within those little pockets of time in the mornings on, on weekdays. And I actually write a lot about the workflows I use. Um, so like how we leverage our virtual assistant, how I analyze a lot of deals in a short amount of time. Um, so like that, that's a lot of what you'll find if, if you follow me on Twitter or in my newsletter. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit since you know you brought it up. But your newsletter, what is what is the vision or goal of that? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. So, you know, one, I, ex I explained a little bit just a minute ago about what my experience was like at the very beginning when I was talking to my parents a lot and asking just ungodly amount of questions to this agent. Um, basically, I was so hungry for information and guidance 
on how to be successful. And I was not very resourceful at the time on um, like all that information exists on the internet, right? If you, if you look, but I felt like there's so much that I wish I could tell myself. And that was 2017, right? So um, six years ago. I, uh, and so I really am writing this newsletter to myself from six years ago. And I, I, I target it very specifically to that person who is either on the fence and about to buy a first property, or maybe they even have one and they want to understand what it might look like to scale from one to several. Um, but it's that person who just, who they've got the drive, potentially they've got the resources, either you know, time or, or money or both. Uh, and they just want to know, like, what do they need to do? tactically like what are the skills they need to learn what um you know what what goes into the process of buying a house what goes into the process of setting it up initially and operating it if you choose to manage it by yourself is that possible a lot of the questions i get asked are about like how do you possibly manage eight properties across three states while working full time without compromising the quality of your job well, the answer to that question is basically what I spend my time writing about, you know, um, the systems I use and, uh, and just, you know, what's, what's worked for me. So the broader vision, you know, I, I do offer one-on-one -on -one coaching and I have been working on putting together more educational materials. So just like kind of crash course on, Hey, you want to go from zero to one? Like here's, here's the playbook I used. Um, so more educational focus than media focus. I know a lot of people write like kind of more specifically for distribution, uh, but I really do like connecting with individual people and helping them along their journey. So I would say that's kind of the core focus and, and vision. Yeah, I totally agree. That's kind of what my channel is kind of based on is, you know, I love this journey. I'm glad I got started, but I also realized there's a lot of people that are just on that fence, they don't know where to start. They don't know who to connect with. And I'm just trying to help others uh, get started, especially, you know, being born and raised in, in Hawaii, you know, the prices uh, for real estate is super expensive and has a, such a high entry point to get in. And, you know, I feel that the best way to get ahead is, you know, invest where the numbers make sense. And that's what I'm trying to help my audience is just let them know that it is possible, but at the same time, I've made a lot of mistakes. You know, I, you're going to have some stories probably to talk about a little bit later on. But we all have mistakes. We all have stories. And we're just trying to help others uh, kind of get over that fear that realize that it's just part of the process. Um, I do kind of want to touch on, um, you know, kind of your, what you did talk about was, you know, you, you do put a lot of effort into your W-2. And, you know, right now there's this big movement uh, people, you know, wanting to retire, they're like myself, but people that want to get out of their job or they quit their job because they want to focus on real estate or focus on, you know, option trade or stock trading. But what's your thoughts? It sounds like you're leveraging your job, like you're using that um, to like generate income and succeed at that, but also to fuel the real estate side. Absolutely. So not only financially, do I view my salary as an asset? But going back to the hybrid professional idea, I view my skills as an asset, right? We talk about a hybrid professional identity. 
I spend my day, all day, deep in operations, process improvement, delegation, managing a team, even reporting up, you know, and supporting the the visions that the executive team sets. Like there's a lot of deeply valuable skills that I use in my day job that absolutely apply to this vision I'm trying to execute against in my personal entrepreneurial journey, whether it's my writing or real estate, like those skills serve me very well. And I feel that the investment of time, yes, I'm getting a salary back, but I'm also getting that professional development and, and those skill sets. Um, so I, I just, I think it's multidimensional what you can get out of a W-2. Now, is that path for everyone? Definitely not, right? A lot of people can make that pivot, uh, you know, find something to do that's solopreneur or driven by just themselves and kind of take control of their own destiny. And I, I have utmost respect for people who pursue that path and find success. You know, for me, I have a family. I have a young daughter. I have a wife who has a lot of uh, experience and success in her career. But we, one of the benefits of real estate is that when we had our daughter 18 months ago, my wife was able to take some time away from work and we had a bit of breathing room. And we wouldn't have had that if we didn't have two things. One, my salary, and two, our real estate. And I, I just view it as one big package, right? None of those things would exist without the other. And that time that she was able to take off and spend with our daughter is absolutely priceless. Can't possibly get it back, nor would we want to. And I think just that flexibility, it kind of, it plays to, you know, you are the firefighter, right? So it plays to the ethos of, of fire, right? Like you want to have the option. You want to have the ability to, and freedom to live life on your own terms. And that one specific example is how we've been able to access some of that freedom on our journey so far. Am I still going to have to put in another couple of decades of work? Uh, yes, I mean, that's my plan. That's my plan. I'm always open to change. I'm always open to a different path if one presents itself. But I believe you know, part of my current plan is to continue to invest in myself from a salary and skills standpoint. Yeah, I'm just getting old. I'm just feeling old and run down. And that that's part of why I just feel like uh, retiring early and building up this stream of passive income is, is kind of my goal and my focus. But it's definitely not been easy. Like I said, I've, I've made a lot of mistakes. You know, you kind of got to weather the storm. And, you know, we were talking off camera a, a little bit earlier. And, you know, you were mentioning that it hasn't been a super smooth process for you also. You've had some uh, hiccups and some horror stories. And, and can you kind of touch on that a little bit? Sure. So the first five properties we bought, we bought four in Vegas. We bought all of them while we lived in Las Vegas. The first one was in our backyard. And then the, the third and fourth were, you know, in areas that we knew they were comfortable, familiar to us. Then when we moved to Washington, we bought a house in central Washington. Same deal, kind of right in our backyard. We we had been there. We we knew the place. We knew the town. My parents lived nearby. And we were able to really wrap our arms around and understand the property and, and be able to manage it. 
I say all that because Iowa was the opposite. Iowa, we had never been to. It's something that we strictly you know, academically researched. We weren't like, oh, this is our favorite place to go. And we know all the local spots. We know the, we didn't have a, a great pulse on, on that market other than what we researched. And I've written a lot about how to research a market and, and the process that we went through. But essentially when, when we were building our team out there, it was a little bit of stabbing in the dark. Um, you know, I talk about spinning the, the wheel on Zillow. We were paired up with an agent who we've had a great relationship with, and she's mostly done well by us, but she definitely was not, we didn't have the same luck as in Vegas. She, she wasn't necessarily an investor's type agent. So she helped us navigate through the first purchase. And we actually did bought all three homes through her. But after that first purchase is where I really hit the, the big speed bump. So we had interviewed a property manager. We were very thorough. You know, we did multiple one hour long phone interviews, asked a ton of questions about licensing, you know, how many units do they manage, made sure everything was legal, um, the way they were operating, asked about their style, their screening criteria. So we were thorough in the questions we were asking, but we were very trusting of the answers that we were getting in return. And it turns out that basically everything that the person we interviewed said was a lie. Uh, and that is partially shame on us because we did not do the due diligence of connecting with other investors that work with that company. Uh, and frankly, we, we should have been interviewing two or three other property management companies. But what happened was uh, we closed on this house in the first week of January in Iowa, which if you've never been to Iowa, January in Iowa is pretty cold, often snowy. And um, this company had promised us that, oh, this house will lease quickly. They said, hey, you can get 1600 bucks for this, this house. And so they listed it. It sat for two weeks, not even a single lead. We dropped it a little bit in, in rent price, not a single lead for another two weeks. We come to find out that they hadn't even been showing the house. Uh, there was a lockbox on there and they were letting people just come and go as they please if they were to even go. We weren't even getting leads, but they were letting people into our house without our knowledge, unsupervised. And war the absolute worst part of this is there was no heat. The gas had been shut off. There was a permitting issue that they weren't aware of. And of course, because they weren't aware of it, we weren't aware of it. So basically our house in Iowa was sitting vacant for almost two months with no heat in the middle, in the middle of the winter. And um, so to put a long story short, of course, we did not continue working with this manager. We ended up firing them way later than we should have. I should add about eight weeks in and our agent helped us find a new property manager. It ended up working out very well. But I, I tell this whole story because that is probably the moment, it's certainly the moment that we wanted to stop and say, okay, this long distancing is not for us. And that's probably the moment where most people would have stopped because good Lord, trying to you know troubleshoot this from 2000 miles away, never even been to the house, never even been to the market. Like this is a nightmare. I don't know how people do this, but you put your problem solving hat on, you find the right team, you make the right phone calls. Luckily, we budgeted quite a bit. We had a reserve. We planned well heading into this situation. 
So even though we made some errors in judgment about who we let onto our team, we had built a defense. We had reserves that we had built up from our other properties. I had a healthy enough salary to be able to work through this and stabilize the house. We had enough, um, you know, we had learned enough lessons from that first experience and we had enough experience self-managing and working with our other properties that we were able to, you know, vet and find the right manager to take it over. And so it was actually a pretty big turnaround story, right? Like it was almost, hey, we made a huge mistake. Let's sell this thing and and get out of here. We ended up buying two more houses in that same market later that year because once we finally did get in rhythm, we had growing pains, we had our nasty, terrible experience. Uh, it was smooth sailing from there. And the next two purchases were very smooth. Our property manager is competent. She was able to get people in at, at good rents quickly. Um, she knew how to do touch-ups and rehabs and improvements. And it's, so it's just, we, once you find the team, the long distance thing is really not as hard as, as people might think. You just, you have to find the right team members and you have to, you do need to still pay attention. You can't just set it and forget. So. Yeah. That's some awesome information there. I mean, it sounds a lot of like some of the horror stories that I have. I mean, you know, being from Hawaii and I, I invest in Pittsburgh and like you're saying, it's cold during the winter time. And I didn't really realize like how difficult it might be to find tenants during this time of year. And I, same thing, I kind of got tricked by maybe the first four or five properties I purchased where everything went smoothly, you know, tenant in place. And then I said, you know what, I'm going to go all in. You know, I kind of got about 10 properties kind of all around the same time and they're all during the winter months. And it took a lot longer to stabilize than I was expecting. Uh, reserves I planned for kind of went away very quickly. And yeah, and but the one thing different for me was I piggybacked off of a system, one of my friends who was already investing in Pittsburgh. So he already had a great team in place. So that was super helpful to me. And it sounds like you kind of just, you did research, but you didn't follow anybody's system. So you have to build your own team. And I think that's super important that like you were talking about. Once you get your system and team in place, it does help the process along. So my, my next question and is going to kind of be, so have you ever thought about self-managing from a distance? So the property manager that I mentioned that took over after we fired the first one, she called me about two months ago and uh, she's also an agent. And she said, Aaron, I've been dreading making this call, but we're going to close down our property management business and I'm going to focus on being an agent. And we said, well, crap. Uh, you know, for all the, everything I just said about how those second and third house, you know, purchases and placing tenants and everything went so smooth. So much of that was because of her and because of her competency as a property manager, as a marketer. Like we were at that point pretty dependent on what she was able to do and her network. And um, so getting that phone call was another one of those moments where like, oh God, did we make a mistake? Now we have these three properties. Yeah, we have tenants in them, but what are we going to do now? And we knew from you know, the experience before that there wasn't a great 
selection of other property management companies in this area. Most of them had really bad reputations. Some of them even had like fraud, you know, charges against them and like some really bad stuff. So in that moment, we had to ask ourselves the question you just asked me, which is, do we self-manage? Do we find another full stop service? Or do we consider a third option, which would be something like Hemlane, which for those who aren't familiar with Hemlane, they're a, uh, essentially they, it's a software you can subscribe to, but you can also add services where they'll do repair coordination, leasing, um, and they have a, a few other kind of services they can, they can provide to allow people to mostly self-manage from a distance. They're like so a they're hybrid. Like some, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so that was actually our plan A for quite a while was that we were going to try it out with Hemlane and our old property manager was going to give us our list of contacts and vendors and we were just going to give it a shot. And frankly, I would have been comfortable with that. We were ready to do that. But she also found uh, another property manager that had taken on another portion of the rental portfolio she was giving up. And we interviewed him and we talked to him and I did it very differently this time. Talked to several investors, including one who only had one property with him, one who had a portfolio of 20 properties with this guy. Like we asked a lot of questions. We were very, very, very thorough with how we vetted this guy. And ultimately we decided to go with him. Now the jury's out because we were still in the process of making that transition. But ultimately what we decided was, you know, it's, it's worth the 10% to us to have someone who has, he has a 12 year track record. He's got happy investors. He keeps his, his units occupied. Um, and, you know, in our estimation, he knows what he's doing. So that was the kind of calculation we made was we, we believe we could have done it ourselves. And if this doesn't work out with this guy, that's what we'll plan to do. But, uh, but ultimately we decided to go with the property manager. Awesome. I, so I'm going to just let everyone know that I'm going to try and use Hemlane for a few of my properties in the kind of hybrid property management uh, platform. And I'm going to be kind of documenting it and kind of sharing my journey as far as is it too much work? Is it a lot of headaches or just how Hemlane actually works? So hopefully I'll have a good experience and some good stories to to tell everyone. But I was hoping I'd have someone else that could share their stories with me. But I'm glad you found a property manager that you're you're willing to hop on board with. But, you know, I also kind of want to touch on, you know, you did mention a book that kind of got you this thought process of the, the hybrid real estate professional. But is there another book or a podcast that you follow that you could recommend to like a newbie that wanted to get started or is kind of just on that, that fence that's, that can't take that first step forward. Yeah. I'm going to mention a few if that's all right. Oh, sure. So the book that we were talking about with the hybrid professional identity is called More Than My Title by Dr. Sarah Beth Burke. It is not about real estate, but again, it's played a big part in how I've constructed my, my brand and what I believe in. More you know, investing focus books. I believe the psychology of money is one of my favorites. That's more of a mindset and like, how do you think about money? Uh, but I, I think that's a really important dimension to look at investing through is not just the tactical stuff, but also how do you perceive wealth? 
you know, what, what is your attitude towards, uh, you know, building and, and preserving wealth? Uh, and that book, the author is Morgan Housel. There's another book um, called The Rational Investor by an author named Ben Laforte. He's not as well known as, as some of the mainstream authors, but it is a beautifully um, actionable and easy to consume guide on just every asset class. He, he spends a chapter on every different type of asset class and just really like it's a very comprehensive like investor toolkit. Like if you read that book, you'll you'll know about stocks, bonds, REITs, any, you know, life insurance, uh, real estate, single family, multifamily. Like he'll he'll go through every type of possible investment vehicle and then how it plays into a portfolio. So I, I highly recommend that book. Uh, and then from a straight ahead real estate standpoint, the book on rental property investing by Brandon Turner. I had to look over my bookshelf. Um, that's a real good top to bottom real estate book. Like if I was going to pick one book for a new investor to read, I would say that would be it. Um, from a podcast standpoint, there for the type of investing I do, which is all long-term, buy and hold, single family, there's a show called the SFR Podcast, which used to be called the Remote Real Estate Investor. Roofstock is the company that puts that on, and Michael Albaum is the host. And that's a great show for just diving into a lot of specific scenarios. They talk through um, you know, everything from how to get the right type of loans, how to hire property managers, a lot of those little tactical bits. And that's about 30, 40 minute episodes. So really easy to consume. Uh, and then uh, podcasts of now our mutual friend, Dan from Resilient REI. I've been really digging that podcast recently. He focuses on the what he calls the everyday investor. So he's not necessarily talking to people that are scaling up 300 units at a time on these big multifamily syndications, he's talking to people like you and me who are taking the patient route, scaling up over time and, uh, and really, you know, live somewhat, you know, ordinary day-to-day -day lives, um, but, but have made real estate a part of their journey. So I definitely connect with that podcast too. Yeah. I love Dan. He's a, he's an awesome guy. Um, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but you know, what is the, the vision or what is the end goal for you? Are you trying to get a certain amount of doors or a certain amount of cash flow or like or leave certain amount of uh generational wealth for your for your for your child? Like what's the end goal? Sure. I don't have necessarily a quantified like number of doors or a specific dollar amount of cash flow. I think it's kind of hard to estimate like how much cash flow I might need based on inflation adjusted dollars in the future. I know there's calculators that can do that. As we talked about, I'm not necessarily trying to replace my entire salary with rental cash flow, uh, but I certainly want it to play a part in my long-term plan for my family. So there's a couple of things, you know, by the, we invested starting around age 30. So a lot of these mortgages, if we hold on to these properties will be paid off by the time we're at retirement age. So I think if we did literally nothing else other than what we've already done, and just manage these properties and let that play out. We'll already be beyond, you know, what expectations would have been before we started this. 
Um, so I'm, I'm okay with being patient and playing the long game. Yes, we want to scale more. Yes, we want to continue to invest in real estate. Um, but I'm not necessarily trying to hyperscale to infinity units, if you will. Uh, and I, I also want to continue to make sure I have time to be a good husband, be a good father, be a good employee. Like those things take time. And I know that the more I add, the harder it will be to, to manage. So um, not exactly a direct answer, but, but um, you know, I think it, it just goes back to what I was saying about building like the broader package of you have your career, you have your real estate, you have your family, and these things all require nurturing. And, and um, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm kind of playing the long game on all of those. No, I love it. I think it's a, a great answer because like you're talking about, I mean, that's why we both like real estate, I, I think, is because it also gives you uh, so many options as far as, you know, like, you, like you're saying, your wife was able to take some time off when you folks had your child, you know, because of the extra income you guys are generating. But real estate just gives you so many different avenues. And, you know, before I let you go, I kind of, do you see... Um, like you said, are you going to stick with the kind of boring buy and hold? Are you going to keep investing in Iowa? Do you see any like short-term rentals or, you know, like multifamily units in play down the road? Like, how's that going to go for you? Sure. So what I would say is that with every new, with every additional house I bought, I've gotten a little more adventurous. I don't think I would have ever considered buying a house in Iowa, 2,000 miles away from where I lived as my first rental. That's not to say that you can't or that you shouldn't, but it took me a while to build up that courage, um, you know, the courage to do so just from some of the experience I had investing in my backyard. So um, just seeing like it's, it's hard for me to say what I will or won't be comfortable with in the future, but I do think that I could see, you know, pushing into either short-term rentals or most likely taking an LP position in a, in a syndication. I've actually, I'm exploring that um, a few deals right now and just trying to learn that process. Like that's what I would say is like being really good at single family, long-term buy and hold investing does not make you good at, you know, vetting multifamily deals and understanding, you know, deal structures and syndications. So Again, I know a lot of people that, that do very well in both, but you have to, I'm very well aware of my shortcomings and my knowledge when it comes to looking at other types of real estate. And it's not until I address those knowledge gaps that I will feel comfortable going all in on a new, a new type of real estate. Yeah, I, I've invested in one uh, syndication as an LP and I, I like it. It's very passive. Uh, like you're saying, it, it is different. Um, I feel like I've learned so much more from doing the single family homes though. Um, but like you're saying, it, it is different asset classes, but it, yeah, it's very, I can see syndications as being kind of the end game where you're very passive, very hands-off. Um, but, you know, you kind of touched on it earlier, and, but I want to give you a little chance for a little selfless promotion so you can you know, talk about your newsletter, you know, where people can reach you and connect with you. Sure. So again, my full name is Aaron Amin. You can find me on Twitter at Aaron Amin, just my full name. 
My newsletter is called The Hybrid Real Estate Professional. You can find me on Substack or you can go to www.thehybridrealestateprofessional.com. That goes out every single Thursday. Uh, again, that's where I put the majority of my creative energy is into that newsletter. So um, follow me if you'd like some tips and tricks on not only how to invest in real estate, but how to you know build your own hybrid professional identity and and hit at those uh, those core intersections where where you got your your best skills. Uh, and I also work with people one on one. So if you're interested, you can find those links in uh, in my newsletter uh, or shoot me a DM on Twitter. All right, awesome, Aaron. Well, thank you for coming on. So yeah, before I before I let you go, as you can see, all the superheroes in the background. I like to ask my guests. You know, is there like a superhero character that you relate to, or maybe like there's, do you have a certain superpower that has helped you in this hybrid journey of yours? Yeah. So it's funny. We were talking right before we hit record that um, I don't follow the superhero comic book world too much, but I was trying to think of what the best uh, chameleon in like hero would be. I think we came across uh, Mystique from X Men, or there's an old uh, comic book villain from the spider-man series named the chameleon and i guess that just you know hits to the idea of having multiple environments multiple professional identities uh, but that that would be the superpower i would i would look for is the ability to shift kind of between worlds seamlessly i love it and soon you're gonna do maybe hybrid property manager with hamblain down the road too exactly lots of hybridity yeah, but Aaron, thank you for taking the time coming on my channel. I mean, I, this has been great finally connecting with you and we'll do it again. Absolutely. Thanks so much for the opportunity. All right. We'll talk soon, Aaron. Take care.